All right, thank you. All right, um, like they said, I am the middle school director, and I apologize for sounding like a middle schooler tonight and my voice cracking. I am losing my voice. But I have prayed for an anointing, and anointing comes with oil, and I can feel the oil in my throat. So I have the anointing of the Lord upon me, and I'll make it through. I will not lose my voice. All right, let's pray, and we'll get into it. Father, I thank you. You are good. You are good. And I pray we would wake up to your goodness. We would wake up to the fact that you want the best for us. I thank you for that, Lord. I thank you for the fact that you are here. And Holy Spirit, I pray, come into this place. Be poured out upon our hearts. Take this word and write it in our hearts. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So Jake told me I could talk about anything I wanted to tonight. And that is a big challenge to figure out what to talk about. But I'm talking about community tonight. And the reason why is I think this is one of the most important topics we can talk about. Three out of five Americans struggle with feeling lonely on a regular basis. Three out of five Americans struggle with chronic loneliness. Three out of five people in this room feel lonely on a regular basis. Not only that, but I, I believe that our communities are the very things that shape who we are as people. And that's why community is such an important thing for us to talk about. And three out of five of us are lacking the community that we desperately need. Not only that, but I think even more people in this world, they, they might have community, but they don't have a Christ-centered community. And so today, I want to ask the question, who is your king? Or more specifically, who is the king of your community? And when I talk about community, I talk, I'm talking about your marriage, your, your relationship with your girlfriend or your boyfriend, your Acts 242 community, this young adult ministry all of those things are people that we do daily life with, and those are our communities. And we're asking the question, who is the king of your community? And we'll be looking at Mark chapter 11, verses 1 through 10. This is the story of Jesus Jesus' triumphal entry when he enters Jerusalem just a few days before he's crucified. And we celebrate this day on Palm Sunday. And Palm Sunday is this Sunday that's coming up. So 
this is the perfect story in the Bible for us to read. And it's not just a story. Excuse me, voice crack, it's going to happen. It's not just a story. This is a real-life event. This is history. This happened 2,000 years ago. So who is the king of our community? Mark chapter 11, verse 1. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord needs it, and we'll send it back here shortly. They went and found a colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway, and they untied it. Some people standing there asked, what are you doing untying that colt? They answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. I, I love when the Bible does that. It, it does it all the time. God or Jesus says something. They say, do X, Y, and Z, and X, Y, and Z will happen. And then the Bible literally says they did X, Y, and Z, and X, Y, and Z happened. Just a message inside of today's message, a bonus message, is that when God says something, it happens. When God said some, says something, it happens. It is spoken into being. That's just the bonus message. They answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. What we see in this story, which is called the triumphal entry, we see that Jesus is purposely declaring that he is the Messiah. He deliberately tells his disciples, go get me a colt, and I'm going to ride in on Jerusalem on the colt. And he's very intentionally doing this because he is purposefully fulfilling the prophecy that we find in the Old Testament of Zechariah 9.9. And, and Jesus is doing this on purpose to say, I am the Messiah. I am the king of the Jews. I am not just the king of the Jews, but I'm the king of the world. I am the king of the kings. And we see here that there are people in Jerusalem who are maybe recognizing that this famous rabbi really is the Messiah, the Savior of the Jewish people. 
But they had a very different view of who the Messiah was than what he really is. Now, I am a middle school pastor, and we like to ask the crowd questions in youth group. So do you guys know what the expectation was from the Israelites of the Messiah? What were they expecting the Messiah to come into Jerusalem to do? Do you guys know? Destroy the Romans, yes. That is what they thought he was going to do. They thought the Messiah was going to come into Jerusalem. He was going to lead a physical revolution into the city. He was going to get a band of people together, and they were going to overthrow the Roman Empire. Because at this time, the Romans were occupying Israel. And they thought the Messiah was going to come and deliver them from Roman rule, just like God, through Moses, delivered them from Egyptian bondage. They thought the Messiah would come, and he was going to restore Israel back to their glory days like, it was, like things were under the rule and kingship of David. But guess what? That didn't happen. This Messiah did something completely different. And just a few days after this triumphal entry, he dies. And what we see is that these people in the crowds who shouted, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Jesus, you are the Messiah. You are king. Just a few days later, when they realize he's not going to do what they thought he was going to do, they're the same people who are yelling, crucify him, crucify him. And so, like I said, we're asking the question, who is the king of our community? And this story in the Bible forces us to ask the question, does my community fit Jesus in a box? And when he doesn't fit in that box, do I turn on him? Do we turn on him? When he doesn't do what we want him to do, how do we respond to that? Do we ignore him? Do we change our heart, or do we try to act like he teaches something different than what he really does? It's a tough question to ask. And I think what we see with these crowds is that they thought at one moment that Jesus was their king. But we later find out he really wasn't. And I think who really was their king was the world, the ways of the world. They allowed the world to determine their view of who Jesus is. And when Jesus didn't fit into that, they turned on him. Do we do that? We all know, when I say ways of the world, we all know a lot of those 
things that come to mind. Maybe it's, it's partying, it's drinking, it's, it's sex out of marriage, whatever it is. But sometimes it's not as obvious as that. For, for me personally, I remember this moment. A couple years ago, my wife and I, we lived in Kentucky. And we, uh, we lived there for about three years. I was in seminary. And I'm praying one day. And I'm kind of wrestling at the time with my purpose and my calling and, and really, you know, who Jesus says I am and all those things. And I'm in seminary. I'm, I've gone through six years of school to prepare to be into ministry. And God, as clear as day, asked me the question. And, and at the time, I was doing landscaping. That was what I did when I was in school. And as clear as day, he asked me the question, what if I want you to do landscaping for the rest of your life? Are you going to be okay with that? And there's nothing wrong with landscaping. There's nothing wrong with physical labor and doing that for a job. But just remember, I was, I was in six years of training for ministry. And as you can see, I'm, I'm doing that right now. But it just hit me like a ton of bricks that God was showing me. I had put him into a box. And, and I had come to idolize ministry. I came to a point where I thought to be a good Christian, you had to be a pastor. To be a good Christian, you had to be a missionary or a power evangelist. You had to write books. You had to be some famous person who spoke on the mic. But that's a box we put God in sometimes. The thing is, is God cares about your everyday life. Whether you're a waiter, whether you're a hostess, whether you're a CEO, God is with you wherever you are. And we can't put him in a box that he only, he only meets us at church, but he actually cares about every single part of our life. Does our community that we're a part of put God in a box? And when he doesn't fit in that box, do we turn on him? The other thing I, I think about with this passage is these people who ended up yelling, crucify him. I don't think they trusted that the cross was going to work, that the cross actually has power. And so I think when we read this story, we have to ask the question, does our community that we're a part of really believe the way of the cross works? Does the cross have power? Does this real life event that happened 2,000 years ago actually mean something? Do you believe that when Jesus died on the cross and his blood was spilt, it paid the price in full. And everything you could ever do in your past, everything you'll ever do in your future was taken care of. Any sin, taken care of. 
Sickness taken care of. That father wound taken care of on the cross. Do we believe that when Jesus said, it is finished, he meant it. It's taken care of on the cross 2,000 years ago. Do our communities believe in that? Do we trust that? Do we believe that in our marriage? Do we believe that in our dating relationships? Do we believe that when we meet with our Acts 242 groups? We also have to realize that the cross isn't just something that happened 2,000 years ago, but it's a way of life. It's a way we live as Christians. We deny ourselves, take up our crosses, and we follow Jesus. I've been reading Matthew 16 a lot recently. And it's, we see in this chapter, in, in verse 13, Jesus says, uh, who do people say the Son of Man is? And his disciples say, oh, some say he's a prophet, he's Elijah, he's, he's Jeremiah. And then Jesus says, who do you say I am? And Peter says, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. But then Jesus starts teaching his disciples that one day he's going to go and die, and on the third day he's going to raise from the dead. And Peter, the same guy Jesus says, blessed are you, pulls Jesus aside, and he says, whoa, you can't do that. You can't go and die. You're supposed to overthrow the Romans. Don't you know that's what the Messiah is supposed to do? And then what does Jesus say to him? Get behind me, Satan. The same guy, he said, blessed are you on this rock. I'll build this church. He says, get behind me, Satan. And then he says this. This is the part of this story that's really stuck out to me. He said, you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. And I think these crowds who turn on Jesus, I think they also had on their mind human concerns and not the concerns of God. Do our communities have in mind God's concerns instead of human concerns. And this is hard. Jesus says, whoever wants to be my disciple, right after that, he says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Do our communities deny ourselves, take up our crosses, and follow Jesus? That's tough to do. And instead of, I think what we see here is we have to ask ourselves, is Jesus our king or is our flesh our king? Is the part of us that wants to do thing by human power instead of God's power, is that our king, our flesh? Is that our king or is Jesus our king? That's a tough question. Every time I come up here and I speak, 
I wrestle with that question. Do I come up here and speak just to impress everybody? Or do I come up here and speak to bring glory to God? When we were worshiping, I was thinking about this. And, you know, leading up to this point, I wasn't, like, very nervous. But I walked through those doors back there, and I realized I'm going to be talking to a bunch of people my age. And that kind of freaked me out a little bit. I walked through those doors, and I got really insecure for a little bit. And all of a sudden, the concerns of humans started weighing down on me instead of the concerns of God. It happens. But do we have a community? Is your Acts 242 group, your friend group, your family, is that a place where people can be concerned about what God wants instead of what humans want? It's an important question for us to ask. So I, I, I want to shift gears a little bit. I've asked some tough questions. I've asked some tough questions about maybe, are we a part of a community that isn't a part of, that isn't Christ-centered, right? But I want to talk about what a Christ-centered community looks like. Jesus says that, um, well, let me say this. What does a community look like that says Jesus is our king, and they don't just say it, but they live it, and they walk it out? And they don't just walk it out here at Access Thursday nights and Sunday mornings, but they live it out, walk it out. They have real, true faith in it every moment of every life, whether you're scrubbing dishes, sweeping the floor, preaching, worshiping, reading your Bible, whatever it is. What does a community look like that says Jesus is our king? And, and one of the things that stuck out to me as I, as I thought about this is, and there's a lot of things we can say about this, but the one thing that, that I want to talk about is that a community that makes Jesus its king is a covenant community. It's a covenant community. A covenant is a promise. It's when someone tells someone else, I'm with you no, no, no matter what. In Acts 2.42, says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and the breaking of bread and to prayer. And I look at that word devoted, and uh, I think I have it in the Greek on a slide. I don't get to use Greek words with middle schoolers, so I had to do it. That is proskaratereo, something like that. And... uh, (laughs) Um, here's what that word means. I have a good picture. That's what that word means, to stick, to stick to something. I think a covenant community 
is a community that says, I'm sticking to you. I'm staying faithful to you no matter what. No matter what. And obviously, you know, different communities have different levels of covenant, right? A marriage is the most intimate relationship that can occur between a man and a woman. And so that relationship requires the highest form of covenant that can occur between humans. But I also think our communities, this community right here, our 242 groups, all of those are also communities that demand a covenant, a promise that says, I'm sticking to you no matter what. Because it's only in covenant that we can experience the type of community that we're created for. It's only in covenant that we can experience the type of community that God created in the Garden of Eden before the fall. He created Adam. He looked at Adam and he said, it is not good for you to be alone. So then he created Eve. And Adam and Eve, they walked in the garden with God in intimacy and vulnerability. Here's another thing I can't say to middle schoolers. They were naked. That is vulnerable. That is intimate. They had an, a deep, intimate relationship with each other and with God, and that's what we're created for. Every person in this room, your heart cries out for that sort of community. Your heart thirsts and hungers for that. But if we're not devoted to one another, we can't have that. A covenant community is a community that says, even when you offend me and you hurt me, I'm sticking to you. I'm going to extend forgiveness to you. Looking back at Matthew 16, right after Jesus says, the church, the gates of hell will not overcome the church. The church will be victorious. Right after that, he says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you lo loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Binding and loosing, we think of that. There's a lot of ways you can do that. A lot of times we think, oh, that's like healing, and that is uh, like binding demons and, and stuff like that, and that's good. That's important. But binding and loosing is also extending forgiveness to one another. That when someone in your community hurts you and it's not fun, instead of exploding on them and, and bottling up your anger and then yelling at them or being passive aggressive with them, or if you're like me, when, when you get mad with someone, you just shut down and you kind of avoid them for a while and, and you just let that fester and you just tear them apart in your mind, whatever it is, a covenant community that, that believes in binding and loosing is one where when somebody hurts you, instead of doing those things, you say, hey, we need to talk. And you have a humble, respectful conversation with them. And you extend forgiveness. And they receive it. And because of that, their sin 
is bound and they are loosed and set free from it. A covenant community is a community where someone can, can show up and they can be their real selves. They can take off their mask. And you can have fun. I think you can only have real fun when you take off your mask and you're yourself. That's real fun only happens in that. But also, it's a community where someone can say, hey, I'm struggling with pornography and I need help. I need help. Or someone can say, hey, I, I cheated on my girlfriend last week. I need help. Whatever it is, it's a community where we can be vulnerable because we've made a promise. I'm sticking to you no matter what. That's the Garden of Eden. That's what God created us for. It's only in that community where unity is created in the church. When Jesus prays in the garden right before he, he's, he's arrested, he's praying for future Christians. He's praying for you and he's praying for me. And he says, Father, I pray that they would have unity so that the world would know who you are. It's through our unity that the world will see Jesus. But it's only in an intimate, vulnerable, covenant community where that can happen. I like this verse from Ephesians 5, um, and I'm starting to close here. It says, Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. And you can do that because your community has promised to stick with you no matter what. Everything exposed to the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes light. This is why it is said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine upon you. If you want to rise from the dead, you got to be willing to step out and say, I've got this going on. I've got this problem in my life. And it doesn't have to be a sin, although a lot of times it is, but it can be something else too. I've got this wound from my past. If you want to wake up from the dead, you got to let Christ shine on you. And what's amazing about God and what doesn't make any sense about God is that he's chosen us to shine through. So you got to go to your community, your covenant community, and say, here I am. I need help. I'm going to end with some quotes from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I don't get to quote Dietrich Bonhoeffer to middle schoolers either. So I'm going to do it here. He's one of my favorites says, sin demands to have a man by himself. It withdraws him from the community. The more isolated a person is, the more destructive 
will be the power of sin over him. And the more deeply he becomes involved in it, the more disastrous is his isolation. In confession, in being vulnerable, in being vulnerable and intimate in your community, in confession, the light of the gospel breaks into the darkness and seclusion of the heart. The sin must be brought into the light. The cross of Jesus destroys all pride. We cannot find the cross of Jesus if we shrink from going to the place where it is to be found. And the place where it is found is in the public death of the sinner. And what he means by that is the cross is found when we step out and we say, this is me. This is what I'm struggling with. I need help. I need forgiveness. I need prayer. That's how you deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Jesus. That's one of the ways we do it. And then one last Bonhoeffer quote. In confession, the Christian begins to forsake his sins. Their dominion is broken. From now on, the Christian wins victory after victory. A Christ-centered community is a covenant community where we have intimacy and vulnerability. In that community, we can bear our cross knowing that on the other side of that, there's resurrection life. That's what it means to believe that the cross works, that the way of the cross is the best way of life, that we believe that when I deny myself, take up my cross and follow Jesus, and we do that as a community, we step into resurrection life. We step into the abundant, full life Jesus promises for us. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you for your heart. Thank you, Lord, that you do not create a family or a community of people that is superficial. You don't want us to just get saved and wait and stay the same until we go to heaven one day, but you want to bring real life transformation right here, right now. That's what you want to do, and I thank you for that, Father, and I just speak it right now. I'm starting to believe that this is a prophetic word for our generation and the younger generations, that the prophetic word for us is wake up. Wake up to the goodness of God. Wake up that he wants the best for you. Wake up that when we bear our, bear our cross, we find resurrection life because the way of the cross is the best way of life. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.